Hi, everyone. I'm Fox News' Rup Raj. On the September 13th edition of Let It Rip, we talked about that phone sex scandal with Michigan State football coach Mel Tucker. Was it consensual? Was he framed? Or is this all blown out of proportion? And how did the university handle it? We're digging into that. Plus, the UAW strike looming even closer. Is the UAW asking for too much? We're digging in. And with that, let's let it rip. Tonight on Let It Rip, a phone sex scandal gets Michigan State football coach Mel Tucker suspended from his duties. He says it was consensual. She says it wasn't. Did MSU mishandle yet another case, or did they do all they legally could? But first, the countdown to a possible strike between the UAW and Big Three continues, and the sides no closer to a deal. Some say the union is unreasonable. Others say workers should get their fair share of the pie. The debate starts now. And so time now to let it rip with automotive analyst John McElroy, also back with us tonight. Michigan Capital Confidential Managing Editor and Conservative Commentator James David Dixon. And via Skype, former UAW spokesperson Brian Rothenberg, Fox 2 anchor and attorney Charlie Langton here as well. But before we get into it tonight, you'll remember Ford CEO Jim Farley just a matter of 12 hours ago said last night his company gave their best offer in 80 years to the union. Here's what else he said. Pay increases, elimination of tiers, inflation protection, uh, five weeks of vacation, 17 paid holidays, uh, bigger contributions for retirement. But in a Facebook Live today, UAW President Sean Fain said tiers are actually still a thing in that offer, and none of the ones they've gotten from the big three are good enough. We do not yet have offers on the table that reflect the sacrifice and contributions our members have made to these companies. To win, we're likely going to have to take action. And just as we have approached our negotiations differently than we have in the past, we are preparing to strike these companies in a way they've never seen before. And they plan to do it in a way that they've never done before, but perhaps we've seen in the past at some point called a standing strike. John McElroy, this isn't your first rodeo. I remember 2019 with GM, of course, uh, the big strike then. What is this strike going to look like if it ends up being a standing strike? Well, you know, he referred to it as a stand-up strike. You'll remember from your history book the sit-down strikes right. of the 1930s, which is really what got the UAW going back then. So he's tying this into history. But what Sean Fain said tonight is they'll take all three automakers down by targeting key plants. You know, because if you strike at certain key stamping plants or powertrain plants, you're going to bring the whole company down. But he's starting small if he says we have to go on a strike. Start small, target these key plants at all three automakers, and then if that doesn't get action, slowly but surely take more plants down, just to increase the pressure. And we're going to get to Brian Rothenberg in a moment here, but uh, all right, so stand-up strike. Uh, James David Dixon, uh, this is democracy in action. People say, I don't like the way this is going. I'm going to have to do something about it, and I don't like it. So here we are. What's wrong with what the UAW is asking for? Well, we talked last week about the 32-hour work week, probably not the best idea, because what Detroit and its workers need to send the message is that we're indispensable. And obviously, these companies could not exist without the auto worker. Uh, but auto companies could exist without the current crop of auto workers.
And so, so it's not a, it's not an even dynamic. So you're saying 32 hours. You're basically saying, look, I don't need to be here for the other eight. You can do without me. That gives a bad message. Brian Rothenberg, we bring you into the fold as you join us from Ohio here. Uh, you were in front of this for so many years. When you hear someone talk about a 32-hour work week, I know that's not the big sticking point here, but it's a point. Um, what are they really saying here? Well, I think it's aspirational. I mean, you know, uh, if you think about Walter Ruther, he was lambasted when he talked about uh, having, um, you know, having uh, profit sharing. And then over time, we actually did get profit sharing, and it's proved to be a very good thing. Um, I do think that uh, there's some merit to that discussion. I think that discussion should also be had about you know, how we staff, because basically what you would be doing would be having, there's seven days in a week, you'd have four people working four weeks, and you'd have you'd have people working another four weeks. You'd have to, and then there would be flex people that could probably work some of the time with it and solve some of the, the absentee problems. But Brian, so, but what, about, what about the pay? Uh, asking for 46% raises, uh, even if we need to even this out between executives and the rank and file, is 46% just insane or is that a number you think they that you really believe he's going to get to well, well you know it's a negotiation and and frankly they they were talking 20 percent and you the companies would have balked at that before the negotiation started the fact of the matter is that now that they've gotten to this point you know the com the companies keep agreeing to a higher standard because of this public bargaining and they're just helping Sean Faint push them higher and higher and higher and that's the problem with responding in public fashion to public bargaining but Charlie, um, Charlie Langton will bring him into the fold too uh, Brian Moore with you in a moment excuse me but when we when we talk about doing this in public fashion the problem with doing it in a public fashion heck this is what Sean Fain wants he wants on Facebook live to hold up that garbage can and throw those offers in there this is part Partially, uh, very demonstrative on purpose, wouldn't yes. you say? Well, I, I, of course it is, yes. But he's not. You can do that and, and come across as being a clown. I don't think he is. I think he's got support of the rank and file. I think he's got support of the membership. And let's face it here. I, I, I listen to John McElroy all the time, and he says that these car companies, when they get into the EVs, because we all want EVs, but the jobs are going to be down, down, down. I think this is the last hurrah for the auto workers to get the best contract they possibly can. Why? Because in four years, I think we're going to see a whole new auto world and I think we're going to see less jobs and more premium jobs so for the workers right now and remember there's this tiered system so the tier one people that have been there for 15 20 they're probably gonna this is it for them but it's these people that have already put in three four five years who don't they don't even share profit sharing they get no profit sharing and I don't think that's right so this contract is really for those tier those first level sure. people that want to climb the ladder and this is their time you had 157 billion dollars of General Motors made in revenue uh, last year 21% more than they made the year before James these executives are packing their pockets with lots of money and these workers are saying you're doing it on my back are they right? But there's also fewer people in question, so, you know. But so are they when, right? When, Would you say they're right? I definitely say there's something to it. I think there's an argument to be made and there's a negotiation to be had. What you hope doesn't happen is that some of the public posturing, you hope that doesn't harden and crystallize into pride. To now I've gone so far that I can't come back and take a reasonable deal if it's offered.
John, what do you think that this is? I mean, we have a couple things going on. You got the actual conversation happening at the table, and you've covered a number of these. And then you have what Fain is telling us. What, what's that space between that? What's that look like? Well, right now, it doesn't look very good in terms of what's going to happen tomorrow night at midnight. You know, Fain came out today and laid out a strategy of how he's going to take down all three companies. Ford came out with a statement tonight saying, hey, look, we've put four offers on the table, and we haven't gotten a reasonable counteroffer to that. So that doesn't look good. Now, there's a whole other day. Maybe this can get settled, but I, if, to me, if you ask me, we're headed for a strike. But what could meeting in the middle really look like to you? Well, split the difference. I mean, that's what you do in any no negotiation. So 22% raise? Uh, probably higher than that. You know, uh, Fain started out well over 40 by reports in the media this week. He's in the mid-30s. The automakers are down in the low 20s. They'll split the difference somewhere in between. The real key is uh, the automakers have gone into this with a number in mind. They know how much that they're, they're paying in terms of labor costs uh, with the UAW. They know where they want to end up. Now it's an argument over what the formula is. Do you do it with wage increases? Do you do it with lump sum payments? Do you do it with signing bonuses? As long as they get to the right number, they can argue all day long over the formula to get there. Farley says there's limits. Charlie? Well, I think if there's always limits, I mean, the company doesn't want to just break the bank. And again, if you guarantee X amount of you know, rates, who knows if the public's not going to buy cars anymore. So you may want to tie some of the increase into the, into the profit of the company. And I think that that's probably a more realistic thing. But I defer to some of the people that have studied this stuff, though. I don't think you can guarantee your salary to go up 10% every year. That's not right if the company's not making money. So there's probably going to be some function of the profit of the company versus the increase in rate of a rate. And I think that's probably legit. Let's talk to, uh, to Mr. Rothenberg again. But before we do, let's look at some of these statements that we're getting from the automakers fresh off the press, so to speak. We're hearing from Stellantis just hours ago saying, we're still waiting the UAW's response to the offer we presented yesterday. Our focus remains on bargaining in good faith to have a tentative agreement on the table before the collective bargaining agreement expires. General Motors coming out saying we're making progress. Uh, that's Stellantis, as you heard, basically saying, look, we're trying our best. We're doing what we can do. General Motors coming out here saying we're making progress in key areas that we believe are most important to you. This includes historic guaranteed annual wage increases, investments in manufacturing plants, uh, and also talking about uh, shortening the time for in-progression employees to reach maximum wages. Uh, Brian, when you hear the statements from GM, you heard Farley from Ford, and you saw Stellantis, what goes through your mind? Is this the same old coming for them, or are they taking note? Well, I, first of all, miracles do happen in the last 24 hours. But I would, I would say John is right. It does seem like we're we're going toward a targeted strike. I'm not sure if it's never done been done before. I think they've done these, I call them boutique strikes before, and they are very effective. So, for instance, if there's a if there's only one tran transmission plant and you take that transmission plant down, then it's going to take a bunch of other plants down. Um, I, look. They are having record profits, and they are also doing these huge buybacks to their stockholders, many of which are these executives there at the companies. So if ever there is a time to catch the gap, it's going to be right now. And, and auto workers also know there's not a lot of people out there in the workforce. They have a demand situation here when it comes to the workforce. Yeah. And what they want to do is try to clean this up and get it done. Will will both sides get all of what they want? No. But 
there's always a tipping point that you can get to uh, when it comes to product. What's your guess? And, I want to go, th go through our guess here. Brian, what's your guess when it comes to how long this strike could last based on everything you're saying? I, I, I think the companies are making an effort. I think it could be a shorter strike uh, if they make significant progress tomorrow. That's my hope. And, but I also think there has to be job security in the mix sure. for all the UAW workers, and that's going to be a key piece at the table as we come to a conclusion. John McElroy, we're running out of time. John McElroy, uh, how much, how long do you think this this strike could last? Who knows? I mean, we don't know yet if uh, Sean is posturing a lot or, or is really ready to take them to the mat on some of his more audacious uh, demands. I'd say a week or two. That, that's what I'm hoping for. A week or two. Fingers crossed. 42 days the last time we saw GM go up against the UAW. This could be shorter. According to John, we're hoping at least for that. James? Ideally, just a long weekend. You know, the 40-day the strike in 2019 cost $3.6 billion. That's not monopoly money. So let's get back to work. Charlie, you're out there with the workers each and every day talking to them. No one wants to be on the picket line. They don't want to be on the picket line, but they want money, and they want job security, and they want a path to get a full wage like the next worker next on the line. And I think those are some really serious issues. I, I think they are going to strike. Uh, I think it'll be about 10 days, give or take, but, you know, who knows? I really don't know, but I do think there's going to be a strike. Brian Rothenberg, we thank you. Former spokesperson for the UAW for joining us. John McElroy, always a pleasure. James, thank you again for joining us on Let It Rip. The other story dominating the headlines this week, the scandal at Michigan State. Football coach Mel Tucker suspended from the sidelines and waiting for a Title IX hearing over phone sex with a rape survivor and sex assault advocate who says it wasn't consensual. Did the university mishandle yet another case of sex abuse? Or did they do everything they could? That debate when we return. Back now on Let It Rip, taking on the scandal involving Michigan State football coach Mel Tucker. We're joined now by co-host of the Valenti Show with Rico on 97.1 The Ticket, Rico Beard. Also Democratic insider and consultant Alexis Wiley is with us. Crisis communications consultant Matt Friedman and former investigative reporter and communications specialist Kevin Dietz and radio host as well. We thank him for joining us. And Fox 2 anchor and attorney Charlie Langton, we missed you last week and the week before. You were on speaking circuit assignment, but we're glad you're with us for these very important discussions we're having today. We'll begin with Rico. Uh, we heard from Coach Tucker. There's two stories in my mind here. You have one, the story between Mel Tucker and Brenda, right. this, this alleged victim. And then you have how Michigan State handled this. Let's start with what happened between these two. Mel Tucker says that Brenda Tracy's allegations of harassment are completely false. We developed a mutual friendship that grew into an intimate adult relationship. He goes on to say that his own wife and him had an estranged relationship at that point. Right. Does, does, in your mind, does any of that make what happened, if this is the way it happened, allegedly, okay? If they had a mutual relationship, yeah, they had a relationship. That's what people do. I mean, you know, everybody does different things, and it seems like the way they're bantering back and forth, it does feel like there was a little bit more there, because if it wasn't, then why would she delete her text messages? That would be proof that, hey, this man's stalking me. This man is saying and doing all types of things to me. She deleted all that. So. It leads me to believe that maybe there were things that she didn't want us to see that she sent to him and said to him. Uh, Brenda Tracy comes out saying 
that this basically was, um, uh, the, I got it right here, this more than just uh, of the same Darvo deflection victim blaming and lies that I've been dealing with for months. Coach Tucker has been delaying and trying to stop the investigative process since the beginning. Alexis Wiley, uh, you're the only woman on our panel, and we should also remember that uh, when people are in positions uh, where they are alleged victims in this case, they don't always act the way you would think they would. Some people are saying, how come if they had this phone sex and if he wasn't, if she didn't want to be a part of this, why, she, why didn't she put down the phone? But a lot of mental health advocates will say when you go through trauma, uh, a lot of times you freeze. You don't know what to do in those situations. That's important to keep in mind, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and I think really what is very important is that we've got to get through this investigation, right? We've got to understand the facts. But even if you take away any of the allegations of this being unwanted or not, bottom line is that he had control of whether she had access to the players, whether she could speak, she was paid to come speak, and then after their relationship soured, he was, she was not allowed back on, on in, involved in the program anymore. He was in a position of power, thus one would say that would not be a relationship that you'd want to enter into in your position as the coach at Michigan State University. From at the very base level, this to me was a, a very bad decision that he made to get into this relationship. But I do think the question of whether he is really a, a predator, whether he harassed her, is really at the heart of this that needs to be answered through this investigation. And I am really glad to see trustees like Diane Byram call for investigations on how the leak happened, um, making sure that, that really this is done with integrity, because that's most critical as we get through this. I want to get to Charlie in a moment here about the morals clause that so many people in the public light, including us, have in our contracts, and whether or not that could be at issue here. But first, let's get through our other esteemed guests that are with us. Matt Friedman, crisis communications is what you do. Um, let's talk about this from a Michigan State University perspective. Uh, the Title IX says we protect the victim. We're not going to sit here and reveal what happened in this investigation thus far. And therefore, Michigan State University officials will say, we weren't at liberty to disclose it. We didn't even know what was in it. What could they have done differently, though? I think there's two things. Number one is I would have liked to have heard on Sunday, as I think everybody in the state and especially in the MSU community would have heard the difference between can't talk about something and won't talk about something. Audiences are very understanding if the law prohibits somebody from saying something that they would otherwise say. Just explain it. Just level with the audience and say these laws exist and here's what they are and here's why we're not telling you certain things we wish we could. We didn't hear anything like that. Um, the other thing is that you'd have to think that at this particular university especially, given the history of events there, that they would have seen a leak of some sort, in this case as inevitable, and would have tried somehow to get in front of that inevitable leak. Instead, the leak happened, they had to scramble on a Sunday to say what they felt like they could say, their audiences are angry and confused. That's a real shame for everybody. The audiences, the people who go to the games, the people who like the school, but there are others who pay money to that school, who have children who go to that school. Kevin Dietz, you're a dad yourself, but you're also a commentator. When you take a look at what happened here at Michigan State, what would you wish that you would heard from this university ahead of Sunday? Michigan State has to do it better than anyone else in the country. They have to. After going through Nassar, they have to do it better than anyone. When you have to have a press statement to explain your press conference, that's not good. 
That means you blew it on Sunday. They absolutely blew it. You come out and you are as transparent as possible. If you can't say something, you tell them you can't say it and why very clearly. And you don't leave anything out. You don't wait for people to say, wait a minute, why, why aren't they telling us this? Why aren't they telling us? It was a, it, that was a debacle on Sunday. I, I sent a son to Michigan State. I, I, I am appalled by what I saw this university do. They handled it terribly. Charlie, there are some things that were in the Title IX and, and just in general, legally, uh, you and I were texting after this all happened and I was asking you what you thought about it. And you explained to me that sometimes there's stuff that they just can't say. From a legal perspective, when you look at a Title IX case like this, what is Title IX there to protect? Who is it there to protect? And do you think it actually applies in this case to this alleged victim? I'm not so sure it does apply. Title IX is a federal law, but in Michigan State's situation, they have a policy of a Title IX combined with a sexual harassment policy. The traditional workings of, a, of, of Title IX is that you identify sexual harassment and you take care of it. There's no money here. She's not going to get any money. Can't get a dime. Nothing. She makes an allegation against someone, Mel Tucker in this case, and that there was sexual harassment. The goal of the university is to stop the sexual harassment. Now, again, on the these facts, I mean, this is a, this, these people had a very, she has a very minimal contact with Michigan State. But even if she did, it's not the way I would have handled this at all. He has a morals clause. He has a contract, a, an employment contract. And in there, there's a morals clause, like many of us on this stage have. And arguably, if you have phone sex, it could damage your reputation and that of a school. I wouldn't consider this a Title IX case. However, I would say, I'd march him in, I'd say, under your contract, you violate the morals clause. Now, what do we do? Do we suspend them? Do we penalize them? Do we put him on probation? There's a lot of ways Michigan State could handle that within his contract. I don't care if the public but you knows. you mean to tell me, well, let's get Rico into this. You mean to tell me that if someone is doing something that uh, that that is in a sexual way with somebody that that seems different or weird, now all of a sudden we got to go look into all of these leaders and say, what kind of sex are you having? I mean, Rico, at some point, isn't that just ridiculous? Why do I keep getting the sex questions? I'm asking <laughs> all of you. Well, let's go license. Well, let's no, do no. I mean, once you start going down this road, yeah, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna answer it honestly because no one wants you in their bedroom. But this came out, and now he has to deal with it. He made a very poor choice, and unfortunately, it may be an eighty million dollar choice that he has to live with. It ruined his reputation. It's gonna make it difficult. He can't come back from this. Not at Michigan State. Now he could go elsewhere, but not at MSU. But Alexis, the morals clause says basically you just to bring disrespect or, uh, or or some kind of dishonor to the organization. Does this count? To me, the, the real problem is the power dynamic here. Take away whether it was wanted or not. Bottom line, he brought her to the university to speak to his team, and when they had a, a falling out, she was no longer allowed to do things with the team. That power dynamic itself, to me, is where it's inappropriate. It's not like he was you know, dating somebody in another department and he had no control and there was no reporting structure. He was he was having a relationship with somebody who was a vendor and he controlled her contract. How hard is it to gain back the respect of the public and those who love Michigan State? Matt? Uh, Michigan State needs to start showing leadership, real leadership. There's a reason why we have leaders in our society and why at a place like a big university they make a lot of money. And that's because audiences crave leadership. 
They crave action, and the words that leaders use are really important. We did not see that Sunday. We haven't really seen it all week. Sooner or later, the audiences need to see it. They will respond well to it when they get it. Rico, will fans, will, fans, uh, will fans forgive the school for what, what happened here? Yeah. Fans, go out and win. You win games, and they won't care. Sorry, that's the bottom line. Now, you can sit down in your high moral horse, but if you win, you want, people will forget. You want to know the irony here? The lawsuit, the only lawsuit it's going to be, it's going to be Mel Tucker suing Michigan State because they're going to they're going to have a whole discussion about whether phone sex rises to the level of being fired. That's the legal issue, and the only way it's going to happen is Mel Tucker, he's going to be fired by State on his contract, he will sue. He will sue, and that's the lawsuit, and all this dirt will come out. Charlie's come right, in. Alexis is right. Uh, this shouldn't have happened, but it did happen, so we're where does Mel Tucker go from here? If I were Mel Tucker, if I were advising Mel Tucker, I'd tell him to take a polygraph. Tell, take a polygraph. You say it's consensual, take a polygraph, let the people see. We're going to be back on the other side of the break with some final thoughts, so hold on to those thoughts. Mel Tucker, yeah. the coach, yeah. what do you think? I think both of them are adults that made bad decisions. The guy had phone sex. Should he lose his job? You're innocent to proven guilty. He admitted it. Well, I don't see nothing wrong with it. It's just phone sex. A lot of people around here may have had some phone sex. They're not being investigated. That's not because they were not a public figure being paid $95 million. I think it got inappropriate. I know there was like some Venmos and some money sent back and forth. Um, and I think the lines definitely got blurred there. You ain't never had phone sex. <laughs> Come on now, be honest. We've all done it. I know I have quite a few times. Unfortunately, you have to live by a different set of rules. So you can have phone sex? Yeah, absolutely. You can do whatever you want to. When it gets reported on with the university already having a tough time with recent allegations, I think it's cause for dismissal. They don't need any more controversy. And I'm a Michigan fan. <laughs> So many people say this is not about phone sex. This is about rank and power. And what was missing there was the discretion. Rico, do you agree with that? <laughs> a little of both. I think it was a little of both. It was he picked the wrong person to be with, and he should have been smarter about it. Alexis? If he was not in control of her co her contract and this was consensual, we would not be talking about it. The problem is not the phone sex. It's the power dynamic, and it was wrong. Matt, Michigan State has, has to handle stuff better in the future? Of course. Mel Tucker does, too. He had this ranting statement he said nothing about the MSU community and waited till the end to address his team really bad look for him on top of something that's terrible Kevin I'm so sad for Michigan State University they just went through a school shooting now a self-inflicted wound that brings all kinds of hurt to this university once again we thank our esteemed panel and of course Charlie for taking the show on the road as well thank you for joining us on this edition of Let It Rip <laughs>